podcast, the source for James Madison sports news and conversation from the Daily News Record. Now here's Shane Metlin and Katie Harper. Hey, it's the uh, Purple and Bold podcast. Welcome to another episode. I'm Shane Metlin here with Katie Harper. So Jamie softball off to an eight and one start. Um, solid production kind of throughout the lineup. Um, haven't necessarily picked up a marquee win yet, but uh, they'll get an opportunity for that this weekend. They head down to South Carolina. They'll play a really good Charlotte team. They'll play uh, South Carolina. Um, some opportunities to kind of prove themselves there. On the baseball side of things, is anybody with a 1-3 record as excited as uh, the Jamie baseball team is right now? Um, just, you know, I think we kind of said it in passing before they went down there, but, you know, if you go down to Arkansas, play four games, if you get one, you should feel pretty good about where you are. And... Um, And they were able to do that. Yeah, I I definitely think they're really excited about it. I think, I mean, first of all, they went into Arkansas, and Arkansas was the number three team in the country. And now Arkansas is up to number two. So that one win is is really looking pretty good. And and for me, it wasn't just the one win that they got. Outside of one inning on Saturday, they hung around for most of those games. Like, I know they got run-ruled Saturday. I talked with Marlon Eikenberry yesterday, and he's – pointed out too he's like hey I liked how we played he's like there were moments that they looked uncomfortable in the batter's box and we'll work on calming them down but he's like outside of just one game that we let slip away he's like we played well throughout that entire series yeah and we're um recording you know production note we're recording this early on Wednesday by the time it's online stuff people might already be watching the uh Wednesday game home opener for the baseball team against Virginia Tech and I think that's going to be like a telling game um you know some things from midweek games don't necessarily tell you a lot about what's going to happen throughout the conference season but i think to get that one in arkansas and then have that opportunity to come home and play virginia tech which has been a very solid program i think how competitive they are in that if they continue to look good and if they can pull out a victory there tells a lot about maybe what the expectations should be for jamie baseball which I, when they're picked 10th in the Sun Belt. I mean, they're young. I don't know if we really knew exactly what to expect from this team before actually seeing them take the field. Yeah, Eikenberry's pretty happy with, one, starting the season against such a good opponent in Arkansas, but then immediately coming home and having a midweek game that's re- a really strong opponent. He talked about just how important those midweek games are because once you get into conference play, you're a lot of the time you're thinking about those weekend series, but the weekday games – uh, he said, you know, when it comes down to May, June, and they're looking at the postseason, he's like, if you have a resume where you're playing Virginia Tech in the middle of the week, it's going to help benefit them. No matter, maybe they don't win tonight, but they still, if they keep it close, that can help them in a couple months. Yeah. And, you know, I think when it comes to conference play, people start to look at, did you win the series? Did you win how many weekend series? Did you win? Did you take two or three? But these games that are kind of one-offs or if you, like you know, like I said, go one and three at Arkansas, but you do have that one win to add to your resume towards the end of the season, and you do well in these midweek games against teams like Virginia Tech, it, it does help, I think, you know, build some respect and, you know, maybe even just generate some excitement for a program where, you know, to be quite honest, the mood around JMU baseball has been – not the greatest for the last few years when a lot of other teams on campus have had more success uh, 
and they've hovered kind of around 500 and some people have not been particularly happy about that. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it last week. It is one of those things where it can't be easy to be the baseball program right now and you're looking around at literally every team making national news in the sense of they're in the tournament, NCAA tournament every year or they're stirring the pot. Like, I mean, football before they were in the bowl game, we're stirring the pot with going undefeated up until that App State game. So baseball is sitting there, but I think watching this weekend series against Arkansas – I think they're starting to turn the page a little bit. Obviously, you know, it's a long season. There are so many games in baseball, but they're they're looking good. I think I after watching this weekend series, and I know it can change once they get into Sunbelt play, I don't think 10th is necessarily where they're going to finish in the conference. I think this team, if they can keep getting some consistent pitching, which at times I'm, this weekend you saw some pitchers who – Casey Smith won a career-long six innings, and he looked good in Monday's loss. Uh, Logar came in in relief. He's a freshman. and um, During Sunday's game and their win, he pitched a shutout inning that really was crucial in them getting that win. So I think they have a lot of good players that they can help start building and turning it around and maybe getting over that 500 mark that they've seemed to be seemed to be stuck at for the last few years. Yeah, and, and it, is, it is interesting that they go with a younger guy out of the bullpen – when they do have that lead, and it's, you know, they really, really want to hang on to that one. It had been like, mm-hmm. pretty disheartening to not keep that lead and to go with the young guy out of the bullpen to close it out. I think says something about, you know, what, what Ike's thinking about, you know, the young guys on this roster, especially on the pitching staff. Yeah, I talked to him yesterday about Logar, and he said they, they saw that him in Friday's game too, and he was like, he, even in that game, he looked steady. And he, so Eikenberry had no hesitation bringing him in on Sunday because he's like, you know what, he's young, but he goes in there and he's not letting these things phase him. He's not getting psyched out when he's pitching the ball, and he's just going to be consistent. And he was pretty – he seemed pretty excited to have a freshman that can do that. Yeah, and, you know, we talked about Virginia Tech coming here on Wednesday, and that's the start of a homestand. They've got a series with Fairfield through the weekend – um, that'll be big too, just because, you know, that's one where the expectations are completely different. You know, you expect to win a series against a, you know, really a fellow mid-major program, um, and not, you know, not a powerhouse, like, you know, a coastal Carolina or, or somebody they'll face later on. Um, that's going to be big, I think, because, you know, like I was saying in baseball, when it gets towards the end of the season, they don't just look at your overall record they do look at your overall record but they start to look at like okay they won this many series they this is what they are capable of doing in three games in three days and you know i think to kind of get started with that you don't want to lose the momentum you've got right now as as much as you know you can talk about momentum when you're still when you're one one and three three. (laughs) but like you know you, you want to keep that going and and be you know potentially above 500 by the time this weekend's yeah, and I think it was interesting talking to Eikenberry, too, where he – I asked him what the dugout was like on Sunday after that win and, like, how excited the players were. And he said that they were excited, but he almost took that win as not necessarily of, okay, let's be so excited in this moment. He's like, okay, now our players know what it's like to play in that tough environment that's one of the best in the nation, always is bringing in a lot of fans. He's like, they know that environment. They know how to win in that environment now. Okay, let's turn and start focusing on this next week and making sure we're winning games at home. Yeah, and so, you know, the baseball team, they come play at home. Um, 
just as the uh, JMU basketball teams are hitting the road for, Leaving. you know, we, we won't <laughs> see them the in seasons. Harrisonburg again this year, which is a little hard to believe by mid-February. Yeah. But um, for, for both JMU men and women um, to close out the regular season with four road games and four that are going to be pretty key for what they want to accomplish heading into the conference tournament in Pensacola. Um, what do you kind of expect to see? We'll start with the women um, as they're trying to hang on to a top four seed. Yeah. But battling some injuries. The injuries. I, I, it's just something about this program and injuries late in the year. I know O'Regan brought it up in the postgame stuff the other week where he talked about a few years ago losing Kamaya Smalls and then more people after. And it's just, you know, they, they've taken a hit now with uh, Susha going down and then having Bristow getting injured and in a boot. So I, I think there is a little bit of a reason to worry. Those are some key names that have been out. Um, but at the same time, you never know. Once tournament play starts either, you know, if they yeah. come back, they come back, and they'll likely jump right back into it and contribute. Yeah, it, it'll be interesting. He hinted that he thought they could possibly play this week. That seems – both of them were wearing boots last time we saw them on Saturday. That would be a very quick turnaround, I think, to be getting them back into action this week. But I think you want to probably see them at least start to, you know – get a few minutes before Pensacola. I mean, just to get worked back into it. Because you, you talk about Susha Kozlova, there's not another 6'4 center in the Sun Belt that is as active and mobile and has the same kind of post moves that she has. She's, she's a matchup problem for just about anybody in the league. Um, and Heaven Bristow is not a starter. She's averaging less than eight points per game, but she's – one of the most athletic players in the league. She's was just sort of starting to get her rhythm after not playing in the first half of the season. She's a matchup problem too. And to lose both of those, you kind of lose what your big advantage going into Pensacola was going to be. Yeah. I think Kozlova's injury was very much on display against Georgia state. They, and especially her ability to rebound offensively. I mean, she led, the team in offensive rebounds. And then in that Thursday game against Georgia State, they just – they couldn't get the ball back, it seemed like. And they got – I think it was like an 11-rebound difference between JMU and Georgia State. It was something like that. It was – they got out-rebounded quite a lot, and it was noticeable without her there, especially in the offensive side. Of it. Yeah, and, you know, she probably hasn't even been as good a rebounder consistently as Sean O'Regan – would have liked going into the season. I know they talked in the offseason about a goal for her being to be a double-double type of player consistently, and she's averaging less than eight rebounds. Um, but she's had games where she's been completely locked in on grabbing the rebounds and has just you know got everything in sight and was something you probably want to see from her going down the stretch. And now I think at best you're looking at JMU trying to like hopefully be easing her back into it as you head to the conference tournament and um, that, that, that really kind of hurts, you know, at this point in the year, M- maybe we'll see her on Thursday or Saturday, but I just, you know, it's yeah, personally it's, not, not extremely confident that it's not an we're going to see the Kozlova that we've come to know and maybe again this season. I don't know. It, it's, yeah, it's definitely not an ideal situation that they're sitting in right now. And it's, I, I know they're probably very disappointed in it. It was a season that started really well for them, and even conference play started really well. And then now, they're just getting that injury bug, and it's at a p- poor part of the season to get it. 
Yeah. Um, on the flip side of things, though, maybe we'll look at it a little more positively. They are ending the season with um, four games that should be pretty winnable. Um, not, not that they necessarily, you know, are locked to go 4-0 down the stretch, but, you know, they've already played two games against Georgia State, which seems to be the one team in conference that really, really gives them trouble, um, you know, more than the record would indicate that they should. Um, they're going down to play Georgia Southern that – has been kind of tough to figure out this year. They were, I think, 13 and three, 13 and four, something at one point. Then they've lost, they lost 10 in a row before beating South Alabama here recently. South Alabama is pretty clearly the worst team in the conference. Um, but they have Taryn Ward, who's, you know, talk about the double double, um, you know, 22 points, nine rebounds per game has been exceptional other than the first matchup against JMU. The only time this year she didn't score in double figures. So, I mean, I don't think it's going to be an easy game by any stretch down in Statesboro, but it's one that, you know, JMU kind of probably has to have a little bit of confidence in knowing how they handled Georgia Southern the first time around. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if you can limit Ward once, you're obviously going to want to go into a game and try and do it again. Obviously, they're going to prepare a little bit differently, but I think – it is a favorable end to the season for them, end of the regular season. And with the injuries, hopefully that having a favorable end will benefit them. If they can get, you know, a few of these games heading into conference play where you're hopefully getting your some of your stars back, I think that will definitely help the mindset when the push comes down in Pensacola. Yeah, and I think it's big you're not finishing you're finishing on the road, but you're not finishing against Troy and Marshall mm-hmm. and Georgia State games where you might not be favored to win. I think Jamie's probably the, the at least a slight favorite in the games they have left. Um, but it, it will be, it will just certainly be a challenge to try to do that when you, especially when you throw in the travel and everything else involved and, you know, trying to get people healthy on the road is a different scenario because, you know, they have their medical equipment. Jamie's probably got the best training room set up in the conference at home and there's going to be a lot of days where they're not here to use it. And, you know, they're trying to get better. So, you know, you're on a bus or a plane or stuff. It's not necessarily ideal for, you know, keeping swelling down and things like that. So we'll see how much that ends up playing into it. Um, the men also hitting the road for four games. Um, also favorites in those four games, but it's always tough to win on the road. And they're chasing a potential regular season Sunbelt championship. They're right there. Jamie and Troy each a game behind App State. Um, App State would have a tiebreaker over JMU if they finished tied, obviously, for the seeding. But potential to, you know, claim a trophy for the regular season if they win out and App State happens to to slip up along the way. Yeah, that would be huge for them to, to win a regular season trophy, especially, I mean, since Byington – joined the JMU program it's been such a climb for this program to get to where they are now and you know especially with the way the season has gone I mean they're at 24 wins right now and they it's a record with how many uh wins they have in a single season so it's been a really really positive season but you can imagine being around that program they want the hardware that goes with it after the season that they've put together yeah and I think you know we saw this with the JMU women last year after they had what had been down seasons for this program previously. They really started 
putting a lot of value on anything they could claim as a championship to kind of like set that mentality of like we're chasing championships whether it was you know the the little MTE they played in in Philadelphia in November which was basically just two games but they like won those games and they called it a championship and they really celebrated it and then they did the same thing with tying for the regular season championship and the men kind of adopted this too the way they celebrated winning in Cancun and you know now they're talking about yeah we want to get another trophy and another trophy and it's a big deal for them and i think it kind of it kind of sets that mentality of you know what what it feels like to hoist a trophy and celebrate something like that and it can be a little bit addictive and it paid off for the Jamie women last year where they played extremely well in the conference tournament and go back to the NCAA tournament be interesting to see if the men kind of, you know, have the same sort of experience when they get down to Pensacola as, you know, they've already had those celebrations. They had the celebration in Cancun. They, they really liked playing with that belt from the MAC that, championship. That was what I, I was going to – I was surprised by how much – how gonna, big of a deal they I made I was going to bring that. that up because, in a way, Terrence Edwards, I think, was kind of joking when he said it. But when him and Raekwon Horton found out that they had to give – the belt back they were not happy in the post-game press conference when they found out that they had to give that belt back and had to go to the Sunbelt office and he Terrence Edwards said it as he was leaving the room where he was like well fine I guess we'll just have to go get one down in Pensacola so yeah. they're they want these championship games they they're confident they like winning they like the trophies and I think that's definitely giving them a little bit of energy right now yeah it can seem like a little thing but um you know, all these things play into culture, and culture around the men's basketball team is completely different than it was five years ago, even, you know, two or three years ago when, you know, Byington's here, but he's still working on establishing some of these things. And you see it with, you know, talk about Terrence Edwards. He's he's a guy who's been here now for four years. His entire experience at JMU has been with Mark Byington trying to build the culture and get to this point and – you know, they had success his freshman year, but it was a weird season with COVID. And, you know, they win 10 games in a row, I think, at one point his freshman year. And that's almost the entire season. Yeah. Like, just because, you know, and they didn't necessarily have to, like, figure out how to bounce back from the the season-long grind of things. It was it was completely different. There were different, different things to deal with and manage – when it's COVID and you're not playing every week or you might go three weeks without a game or something, but to build that culture to where they are now, where, you know, they respond to the two losses in three games and get to the point where they're 24 three, which is pretty much unfathomable. I, you know, I, I thought pretty early on when Mark Byington took the job, like, Okay, this is a guy who can pretty consistently win 20 games here, but I wasn't ever necessarily anticipating, you know, they would be getting into the last couple of weeks of the season and we'd be thinking, you know, they might have five or fewer losses. That that just kind of is unfathomable as far as Jamie men's basketball has gone. Yeah, I would agree with that, especially like having gone to school at JMU and graduating and I Went there, like we've talked about in the past few uh, episodes, I went to JMU when 
no one went to men's basketball games. It just wasn't a thing. They weren't good. They were struggling to get wins. And now to see it and where it's gotten, it's it's insane to see how far it's, they've come in like eight years. Mm-hmm. And, one co- and only one coaching change to make the, the difference. And so to look at this program, and I, I feel like I've seen a lot of people talking about where they are now and – a lot of the older alums are excited because they're like this well this is what I was seeing when I was in school in the 80s and 90s like this really really good program so I think it's really exciting for a lot of people to see all of the students start coming to games again to see them in this conversation of potentially getting an at-large bid if they don't win the tournament which was arguably unheard of when they were in the CAA so I think it's a pretty exciting time yeah and you know you mentioned the students and it is like the older alums too, like not necessarily like super old, but like I've been shocked by how many people I've talked to this year at games that I considered big JMU supporters. And they're telling me this is my first time here for a basketball game. This is the first time I've been to, this is the first time I've come down from DC or Richmond or wherever, you know, I'll, uh, you know, I'll call out Michael Evangelista. You know, <laughs> why weren't you here before this season? Uh, we'll, you know, we'll like add him in this tweet. Yeah. So like, but you know, it it surprised me and it didn't. Like some of these people that I considered, you know, diehard JMU fans are really now starting to make a point to come to basketball games, and it's not just students. And it's yeah, and I mean, you know, people like that, you can't blame them necessarily. Like eight years ago. You'd be a little crazy if you traveled a couple hours to come to a men's basketball game. And that's not saying that the players didn't deserve the sport. It's just the product on the court wasn't at a good level. It wasn't necessarily a competitive game all the time. And now you come in, you have like schools like Akron coming in or just any of the Sunbelt teams that their JMU has good battles with. And they're fun games and they keep you engaged the entirety of it. Yeah, and it it's raising the bar a little bit for, you know, the rest of the program. We talk about, like, baseball and where they are. For for a lot of years, it was baseball and men's basketball. And so it, it's raising the bar a little bit. It's changing the way I think you have to look at, you know, what student and fan engagement is like. Um, as you can hear, the construction next door probably uh, picked up on the microphones. But, you know, it's changed the culture, I think, a little bit over at Bridgeport as far as football, like, goes there's been an effort to get students to not only show up but to stay longer and you know they've shown up to men's basketball games it's it's changed i think the way you look at the sport for for women's basketball i was actually like thinking like you know it might be worth a story to like talk about how maybe the women's basketball games aren't getting as much support because people are investing their time in men's basketball and football and like you know you can only you you could probably only handle going to so many sporting events in a year, the average person. And then I look it up, and women's basketball's attendance this year is higher than it was in 2020 when they had like an extremely good team, and it seemed like the convo was just rocking. Yeah. They're still getting more people. It just seems it just different seems compared. Less, yeah, they're not the out drawing the men, and you know the and student historic, section yeah, for the for the men has been so good that it's noticeable when there's not a ton of students for the women's games um yeah it's crazy and you know i think it it really is kind of you know the term everything school is getting tossed around a lot and then sometimes it's a joke and sometimes it's serious and everything but like to get 
going the way they have in the two revenue sports really not only just helps with that revenue talk, but it also like it changes the way you look at just about everything at JMU. Yeah, I like I know what you mean with the everything school. Sometimes people are doing it in a funny way, but it is kind of getting to the point now where it's like throw all of the sports on a piece of paper and a hat, put pick one out. That team's probably made the NCAA tournament in the last five years. Like that's how good this athletic department has gotten. And to see basketball kind of join in with football now as these top programs that are constantly comp- uh, competing for a conference title is really, really neat to see. And I, I do have to say before I forget, with men's basketball getting to where they are and as good, we this has happened obviously since the last time we recorded the passing of Lefty Drizel. And where basketball is now is what a lot of people saw when he was the head coach at JMU. It was kind of like the last time of like consistent year after year success. So I think it is like a really cool moment to see JMU kind of on the cusp of an NCAA tournament appearance after kind of the week that the program historically just had. Yeah. And, you know, I think that probably also, you know, brings up another topic of how you keep things going because they obviously didn't keep it going when the lefty Drizel era ended and, you know, not saying any indication that Mark Byington is going anywhere right now, but, you know, he will, I'm sure get offers. His, his agent will get calls from people. Um, there's going to be probably some intriguing jobs open up and, you know, I don't think he's going to leave for just any job, but at some point, there will be a coaching change in Jamie men's basketball and they're in good hands right now, but the AD jobs open. They're going to bring in candidates to interview for that in April. Um, you know, to think about where JMU basketball could go after that, they have to handle the transition. Well, whenever that happens better than they did when, yeah. when, when lefty Drizel was, you know, I think kind it is of like asked to leave. Obviously, like you said, there isn't, for everybody listening, this is not saying that Mark Byington is leaving. No indication. Not not a thing right now. But I think it's a very desirable job now. Yeah. With I, where the program has gotten, the conference that it's in, the um, I think it's a desirable job. So regardless of when, if it happens, coaches will want to come here and good coaches will want to come here. Yeah, and I will say that, you know, the coaches are talking about the future at JMU. They're they're recruiting for the future at JMU. It's not like anybody's got one foot out the door, but it's not, you know, I mean, it's out there. Like, you know, his name gets mentioned for West Virginia and yeah. places like that. And, you know, he may or may not get offered those, but his phone is going to ring. I think it's it's after March. Men's basketball I think it's it's probably weird for some of these fans because like with past coaches, they weren't leaving because they got a better offer. They're leaving because Jeff Bourne told them, hey, we need to make a change. So basketball is kind of getting into that territory of what football seems to be in almost every single year with head coaches now, with how good they are, that, you know, they're going to hear from other schools. That's just the nature of the size of JMU and being a mid-major across the board. Their their coaches are going to get calls when they succeed. But I think behind Jeff Bourne as AD, JMU has done a very, very good job of making it be a very desirable school, desirable program for coaches who are very good, maybe just a little younger and haven't had as much experience so they can come here and succeed. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I guess the one other thing about, you know, basketball, I'll go back to women's basketball, we didn't discuss is they add um, Rose Scott 
um, who was Marshall's leading scorer last year and for parts of this year before she kind of left the program. Adding her um, should be a big addition for next season. Uh, kind of, you know, gives them that, you know, score you can always count on to get you a bucket when you need it. That and as good as Peyton McDaniel is, she's more of a streaky shooter. And um, I think that's going to be a pretty huge addition for next year, considering as long as they don't get hit by devastated by the transfer portal, they could be back their basically their entire starting lineup from this year. Yeah, that will be a really big addition next year. And I think that obviously they're not looking at next year right now. They, they still have games to play. But I think that's definitely going to be a big name to bring in and keep building that success that they've experienced early in the Sun Belt. Yeah. Um, quick hitters here just before we wrap it up. JMU lacrosse. Um, gets another ranked win against a uh, UConn team. Made it interesting towards Very the end with the you know draw controls probably continue to be a little bit of a concern as um, you know they they allow a comeback from the Huskies in that one, but improve the three and zero remain ranked number three in the country uh, with a couple games coming up this week. Yeah, and I think um, with that UConn game, you have to give a major shout out to Caitlin Bowden and goal. She made, I think. When I I think the it was when the stats came out I think it was four saves in the last fifty six seconds of the game to give them the fifteen fourteen win and I think she made sixteen saves in that entire game so big big performance from the sophomore yeah and you know as we kind of you know get ready for March it won't be too long before we get to spring football um, you know right now it's still sort of some off season stuff um, I know you you wrote in a recent paper about one of the major changes it seems like is kind of the the um the concerted effort to begin community engagement right away as Mm -hmm. busy as a new staff is when they arrive it seems like that's been a very a very big part of their goal is to make sure they're out and getting to know people and doing things for this uh, Shenandoah Valley community. Yeah, Bob Chesney mentioned it at his press conference following uh, the February National Signing Day. And then he also mentioned it to me when we sat down in December down in Texas. He So he's brought it up multiple times that he's like, my players are going to be in the community. They're going to make a difference around Harrisonburg. We're not just going to you know, be on the football field on a Saturday and then go and hide for the rest of the week. We're going to be out there and making a difference. And the story I put out this week kind of got a little more traction than I was expecting it to. Um, I've had it written for like three or four weeks now. So it was just one of those evergreen pieces that we hold on to until we need it. And then getting it out there, the dialogue behind it, I think has been really interesting to see. I've seen some people talk about how I think like early mid two thousands that there wasn't necessarily a great look from the Harrisonburg locals on JMU as a school and the football program, like not necessarily the football program, but just as a school. So Bob Chesney coming in here and being so determined to get his players out there and making a positive impact, I think is it's really cool to see. And like the people talking about that maybe disdain between the school and the community back in the 2000s. I mean, that was something I didn't know. I was, you know, early elementary school and all that's going on. So I think that was really a cool thing to see people read and kind of be really receptive to yeah and you know you mentioned that jmu kind of outgrew harrisonburg and harrisburg had to catch up to a degree and there were people who like you know lived here for a long time who didn't 
like all of a sudden having more traffic and louder parties and everything else. Like that goes along with having a big university. And, you know, that changes a little bit as, you know, the demographics of the community start to reflect what a college town typically is. But, um, yeah, I think that was a big thing that had to change and get used to having, you know, big, big time football coming into town on Saturdays and disrupting, you know, your quiet weekend and everything else. Um, and it does help to have people out in the community. Like just, you know, I would, it's kind of shocking how many people will go out and sit in the cold to watch a February softball game here that, you know, if it was me and I wasn't getting paid for, like I would wait until it gets warmer to go. I would, I enjoy going out to the softball games, but I would probably wait. And there's a lot of people in this community who just like really love that team. And it's partially because Lauren gets them out there and Mm -hmm. like, it's the same thing for, it'll be the same thing for football. It's, it's similar for women's basketball. Like they, they feel like part of the community. They, you know, softball's had the, um, they've had the luxury of, being able to recruit locally because there's been all American caliber players locally in certain years. And that's been great. But I think it's also interesting that we're seeing, you know, Chesney extend those preferred walk-on offers to local kids Mm -hmm. uh, more than probably the previous staff did. Um, Why not take a chance on those guys if you're not talking like scholarship money? Well, yeah, like the local kids too. I just did a story a few weeks ago on Ryder Post up at Broadway. And this is a kid, he was like, JMU was always in my mind. He's like, I always wanted to go there. That was always a school I wanted to go to. And then the second that, you know, Bob Chesney and his staff are looking around, looking at these local kids, Bob Chesney calls him, hey, we preferred walk-on, come on down. And he absolutely. And this is a kid who had a D1 offer from VMI already. He had a full scholarship waiting for him. But he was like, you know what, JMU is kind of – it's the local school. It's always been on my mind. And and I think you see that a lot more now with how much they're – the brand has grown and I think Chesney is really ready to capitalize on that. Yeah. I think it'll be a different vibe as far as that stuff goes with, with new Chesney and the new staff here. Um, yeah. And as we kind of, you know, inch towards, towards spring ball, we'll be able to kind of dive into different position groups, things like that, future episodes. But for now, I think that just about wraps this one up. Uh, I'm Shane Metlin. I've been sitting here talking with Katie Harper And thank you for tuning in to the Purple and Bold podcast from the Daily News Record.